You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. One of God's providences has ever failed. We need to know that God is ever faithful and will always be faithful. We need to be reminded of God's love. One of the things I think that's the most important when we're going through a trial or when we're struggling, we need to be reminded of the love that God has for us. A love so deep, a love so strong, a love so hard that he would allow his son to die on a cross for you. We need to be reminded of that, especially in time of crisis. In times of crisis, it might be hard to see God working. Pastor Dave tells us today that we need to instead be reminded of how God's worked in the past. He's always been faithful to us and others throughout history. His love also never wavers and will be enough to get us through any and all circumstances. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of Judges chapter 6 with part 2 of his message, Mighty Men of Valor. Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11, and Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, it talks about this very thing. How wonderful a father we have. I have chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. And way back in Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, In verses 5 through 11, it's a little bit more entailed here, but they use the same scripture. Beginning in verse 5 in chapter 12, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chasten us as seemed the best for them. But he, the Lord, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God deals with us. He chastens us as he chastens his sons. Sometimes we think we're getting away with something, but make no mistake about it. The Lord, our God, is not a permissive parent. He is a good, good father. Chastening is evidence of God's hatred towards sin and the love that he has for his people. What's God doing with us? What's God doing in us? Scripture says by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are being conformed into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's ultimate purpose for us. 
to be like Jesus so he best can give us a holy character. This is done by our yielding to the Holy Spirit. Our obedience to him through his word builds our character, but when sin creeps into our lives, it destroys our character. And God can't sit idly by as one of his children tries to destroy himself. He must act. Personally, I thank him for his chastening. Oh yeah, the scripture we read is real painful sometimes. Especially when it comes down, he gives me a thump. Wow, it hurts sometimes. His chastening hurts. But I thank him that he loves me so much that he would try to keep me on the right path. It assures me that I am truly his child. And that he loves me. And it also assures me that I can't get away with rebellion, even though I try sometimes. I can't get away with it. Israel had experienced many years of suffering under the harsh rule of Jabin. Remember Jabin, the oppressor. But they hadn't learned their lesson. Forty years. Forty years of peace, prosperity, and tranquility. Of peace. They didn't learn. See, why? Unless our suffering leads to repentance... And unless our suffering leads us to the cross, it accomplishes nothing. If our suffering doesn't lead us to repentance at the cross, it's of no lasting good. And unless our repentance is evidence of a holy desire to turn from our sin and not just escape the pain, then it's no more than remorse. It's not true repentance. This is what was happening with Israel. They hadn't truly repented. They were just glad that the oppression was over. They hadn't truly repented. So if we look at verses 1 through 5 now. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also, Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. For seven years now, the Midianites would come down at harvest time and they would rob the Israelites of their harvest. So much so that they had to go hide in caves. They couldn't even enjoy their own land. They had to hide in caves. For seven years, God allowed this continue. Now, If you're a numerologist, you know that seven is God's perfect number. And at the end of the seven years, he's going to do something about it. But the Midianites would swoop down upon the nation. They would steal their crops, even their livestock, leaving nothing, no sustenance for them. They would come in like locusts, leave nothing behind. You know, as a person who grew up watching tons of movies, tons of cowboy movies, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but thinking of the Magnificent Seven. It's the same story. A little small town in Mexico that Culvera and his 40 thieves would come in during harvest time and they would take all the food and then hightail it off. 
And so the men got together the town. They took a little bunny and they went out and they got seven guys to come in to take care of Culvera. Hence the story, Magnificent Seven. I digress. <laughs> you can tell where my mind goes sometimes. I'm sorry. But this is what's happening here. Every harvest time, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and whomever wants to come down for the pickings, they come down and they take everything that Israel has sown, everything that they've got for the harvest, leaving nothing behind, no sustenance at all. They come in like locusts. And if you've ever seen the pictures of when locusts come into an area, man, they leave it absolutely bare, absolutely nothing left. It's a horrid sight after the locusts have come in. Horrible. So that's the picture that's being painted here. Why would God allow this? God certainly allowed it to come in there. Well, he allowed it because of the sin of Israel. Because they were doing evil. And he wanted to chastise them to bring them back to him. He wanted to drive Israel to their knees so that they would cry out to him. He wanted to bring them into humiliation. Before they turned back to God, they had to be humbled. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace to those who humble themselves. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. You know, many times we're caught in a sin and we will not repent of it. And God allows humiliation to come into our life. He allows humiliation to come into our lives. Why? So that we'll turn back to him and ask for true forgiveness. This is exactly what happened with the nation here. Look what happened in verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. God's plan worked. At least he has them now crying out to him. At least they've turned back and they said, Lord, help us. They're crying out to the Lord. They had this seven long years, this season of humiliation, of fruitless labor, of poverty, of dominion by an oppressive power. They finally cried out to the Lord. It appears that praying was their last resort instead of their first resource. I quibble a lot about people on the Titanic say, we have to pray, and somebody says, has it come to that? Why wait until the boat's sinking? Why wait until your life is in a turmoil, until your life is turned upside down? Why wait before we pray? But for some reason, things have to get really, really bad in our lives before we decide to say, you know what? I need to pray. Instead of that being our first response. Instead of that being our first response, we have to pray. But sometimes the Lord has to corner us. The Lord has to get us into a corner and humble us so that we will cry out. The Lord knows our stubborn heart. The Lord knows the rebellion that we're in. Oh, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Oh, the Lord knows it. And he knows just what he needs to do to each one of you and me to get us to that point where we're going to cry out, Uncle, Father, we cry out to the Lord. Help. If we would continue to walk with him and serve with him and not do evil in his sight, we would never be in these precarious situations in the first place. But that's another story. Israel cries out to God in despair, and that's the third part of the cycle, remember? Disobedience, discipline, despair. They're in despair. Oh, the Lord can help us. The Lord has to help us in this. So they cry out to the Lord, 
An interesting thing happens here. He sends them a prophet. He sends them a prophet. Now, this is early on in the nation as far as the historia comes along. But you know from reading scriptures, Israel doesn't have great faith in prophets. They never seem to do real well with prophets, having killed them all, basically. But God sends to Israel a prophet. Let's look at 7 through 10. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Wow. Prophets there. God sends this unknown prophet. The prophet is not named. We have no idea who the prophet is. We can't even surmise who he might be. But the prophet comes and he says, prepare, a deliverer is going to come. And isn't it interesting that the Lord always sends a prophet before the deliverer? John the Baptist, voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make way, make ready the path of the Lord. All the prophets before were crying out for the deliverer that would come. Here the Lord sent this prophet. God spoke through the prophet and he reminds them of their past. Why does he remind them of their past? Because he wants them to realize how faithful he has been and what he's done for them in the past. When we're in the midst of trouble, when we're in current crisis mode, I think it's paramount that we remember God's faithfulness. I think it's paramount that we remember what God has done in the past and how much faithfulness he's been in our lives. And we look at him. This will help us during our time of crisis. It'll help us. But he reminds them of God's love. The loving God who delivered them from Egypt. And now he's able to deliver them from the Midianites. He reminded them of God's power. The powerful God who took them out of Egypt, who snatched them from Egypt, and he is powerful to deliver them from the Midianites. Oh, when you're going through a trial... When you're going through an affliction, when you're going through suffering, even times of things that we've brought on ourselves, we need to know of God's faithfulness. We need to remember that God is ever faithful. We need to go back and see in Joshua where it says not one of God's promises has ever failed. We need to know that God is ever faithful and will always be faithful. We need to be reminded of God's love. One of the things I think is the most important when we're going through a trial or when we're struggling, we need to remind it of the love that God has for us. A love so deep, a love so strong, a love so hard that he would allow his son to die on a cross for you. We need to be reminded of that, especially in time of crisis. See, God said to them, you have not obeyed my voice. You have not obeyed my voice. In verse 6 it says, So Israel greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. Israel thought it was the Midianites who were the problem. Israel's thinking, well, wait a minute. 
The Midianites are the problem. Get rid of the Midianites. I'm not going to say that right. And we won't have a problem. Get rid of these guys and we won't have a problem. Not thinking that they were the problem. (laughs) They were the problem. Oh, how easy it is to blame others. God sent his messenger to tell them who the real problem was. You haven't obeyed my voice, Israel. Excuse me? The Midianites are taking all our screen. Midianites are beating us up and doing horrible things. And you're blaming us? Right. Why do you think I sent the Midianites? You haven't obeyed my voice. God always gets to the heart of the problem. And the heart of the matter is always our heart. The heart of the matter is always our heart. And God gets right to it. Israel was disobedient. Israel thought the Midianites were the real problem. And it's human nature. It's human nature when something goes wrong. Let's throw somebody else under the bus. Let's throw somebody else under the bus so they can get the blame. I certainly aren't wrong. Oh, how horrible my sin looks on you. Oh, how horrible the sin that I have looks upon you. Upon me, it doesn't look so bad. But oh, when I see it in you, oh my gosh. We love to blame others. We love to look at others and say, it's their fault, not my fault. There's a message that the prophet shows that when Israel cried out to the Lord, they didn't understand that they were the problem. Their cry to God did not mean that they recognized their sin or repented of it. Doesn't mean that they recognized it or repented of it. But let me say this. Crying out to God is a good place to start. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to make that turnaround. Great place to make that move. You haven't obeyed my voice. Ooh. That's the kind of thing I don't want to hear from the Lord. I don't want to get a phone call on my cell phone. Dave, this is the Lord. You haven't obeyed my voice. I don't want to hear that. Cry out to God. Enter our hero. Enter Gideon. Just the farmer. Kind of like Mac Yazar standing up in front of 450,000 people at Woodstock. I'm just the farmer. Gideon was just a farmer. That's what he did. He was an ordinary guy. And God was going to call them to deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. It's an interesting note here that more space is devoted to Gideon in the book of Judges than any other judge. Even Samson. Even Samson. As I said earlier, Gideon is the only judge where the struggles with his faith is recorded. Gideon then becomes a great encouragement to us. He becomes a great encouragement to us as we struggle with our faith. Gideon encourages as we struggle with the idea, can God really use me? Can God really use me? Can God really get anything out of me? Can I really be used by God? Well, Gideon's the story for you, man. And while we study Gideon, we can answer many questions that come to our mind when we're going through trials, when we're going through afflictions, when we're going through testing, when we're going through chastising. We ask questions like, does God really care about me? Does God really know what he's doing? How many have ever asked that question? I've asked that question. God, do you really know what you're doing? (laughs) 
Things look totally out of control. Lord, what's going on here? God, will you really take care of me? And God, do you really keep your promises? The first answer to the first question is found in verses 11 through 13. Let's look at those now. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under a tinderth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Aberzite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles of which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. God had certainly chastised Israel with the Midianites. And they cried out to help. He sent them a prophet to make way for the deliverer. But Israel showed no sign of true repentance. And God's heart was moved. God's heart was moved. And his mercy was extended towards his children like a good, good father that he is. Isaiah the prophet said something really interesting in Isaiah 63. You don't have to turn there. I'll do that for you. In Isaiah 63, beginning in verse 9, speaking about God's mercy, he said, In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, and he bore them and carried them all the days of old. Wow. Wow. God had mercy on them. He looked down upon Israel and his heart melted because they were his people. They were his children. And although they showed no sign of true repentance, God knew that he could get something out of them. See, God's mercy doesn't give us what we truly deserve. And through his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. Gideon's in the wine press threshing wheat. (laughs) Right away, you know something's wrong. He's hiding, it says there. He's hiding. Many people have called Gideon a coward. I don't know. I'm not sure. But he's hiding. He's hiding in this wine press, threshing wheat. It's a curious place to be threshing wheat. It's meant to be pressing wine. But the angel of the Lord comes when he appears to him. And we recognize the angel of the Lord immediately because he's appeared before in Old Testament. It's a theophany. The Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. He has come in human bodily form before Bethlehem. Before the Bethlehem birth. Before his incarnation. The description of the encounter with the angel of the Lord shows that it's not merely an angel speaking on behalf of God. It shows that it is none other than God himself appearing in human form. Let me point it out to you. In Judges 6.14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Judges 6.16, And the Lord said to him, It was God speaking to Gideon directly. You are When God raised up judges to bring the people of Israel back to himself, he did it in unusual ways. He chose a variety of men and women, strong and timid alike. These judges were given tasks to show God's power to the Israelites and the enemy, and God accomplished his goals in an unexpected fashion each time. 
God can and does use creative ways to reveal who He is, proving that He's the only one who could have made it happen. As you follow God and learn to rely on Him, He will reveal Himself to you as well. It may not be in the ways you'd normally expect, but you can be sure it will be in the way God knows best. Are you praying for God to move in your life? We'd be happy to come alongside you and support you with prayer as well. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased we're able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each new edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of Judges, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to our message today. May God bless you as you continue to study His Word. Pastor Dave will continue to walk verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Judges when you join us next time, right here on Assure Hope.